You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning, everybody. How is everyone doing this morning? Man, if you are here visiting with us, maybe you're here to watch someone get baptized, we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, We are working on a third service, just so you're aware, so that we can have enough seats for people in general. But we're we're glad you're here, and I I have no issue sitting on the floor if I need to. So we are so glad that you are here uh, with us this morning. We're actually, we're starting a brand new series uh, today called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And I believe the power of this series is actually in its simplicity. That God made prayer really, really simple. We as people have made prayer really, really complicated. And uh, and so I want you, as we begin, to imagine that I sent this text message to my wife. And it says this, you will always be mine. Now, if you're on the receiving end of a text message like this, There's different ways that you could take it. Maybe you think to yourself, oh, that that was a little sweet. Or you couldn't include any emojis with that to like add some emotion to it. Like there's there's different ways a statement like this could be interpreted. It's neutral on face level. But imagine if instead of sending it as a text message, I actually got out some pink paper and cut out some hearts and wrote it this way. You will always be mine with little hearts where the, uh, the dots go. Right now, it's all of a sudden mushy, and you're thinking to yourself, he has really feminine handwriting. But it's mushy, and it's sweet, and it's interpreted a specific way. It's like, oh, it's Valentine's Day. Now imagine if I sent it this way. <laughs> now it's a ransom note. <laughs> you will always be mine. Now it's profoundly creepy as a message. You see, the truth is, in every single one of our relationships, the way that we communicate matters, doesn't it? The way we communicate, it sends a message to the recipient. How we communicate matters. And effective communication is how we give and receive love in our relationships. And it doesn't matter what relationship that you're talking about. Effective communication is how we give and receive love. Think about this. Many of you are familiar with the five love languages, right? We all give and receive love in different ways, but every single one of those love languages have to do with how we communicate love. Now, when Jesus was leading his disciples for a period of three and a half years, they came to him with a request. They came to him with a question. And and I imagine following Jesus, you get to see all of these incredible things, miracles and healings and him walking on water and the greatest teacher to ever have lived. You get to witness that firsthand. And if I'm following Jesus for three and a half years, there's a lot of things I might ask Jesus to teach me. I might ask him to teach me how to heal, to teach me how to do miracles, to teach me how to teach But that was not the most pressing thing that his disciples asked him to teach them. They asked him to teach them how to communicate with God. It is as if his disciples witnessed something in his prayer life 
that fueled his healings and his miracles and his teaching and everything else about his ministry. You see, when Jesus prayed, it wasn't complicated. It wasn't formulaic. It wasn't hard to understand. It was deeply relational. Jesus used prayer to communicate love to his Father. And the same is true with us. That effective communication is how we give love to and receive love from God. Learning how to effectively communicate with God is quite literally a means to give love to him and to receive love from him. The problem is many of us have not been taught how, the how of communicating with God. And so we don't. Maybe you're here today and for you, prayer is kind of a a sore subject. There's a lot of timidness around it for you. Because maybe you're afraid you're going to pray and you're going to say the wrong thing. Or you're worried about what someone next to you might think of the words that you are saying. Maybe for you, prayer is a sore subject because you have prayed and it doesn't feel like anybody's on the receiving end of those prayers. Maybe you've wrestled with unanswered prayers in your life. Here's what I believe is true. Effective communication is how we give love to and receive love from God. But the problem is, and if you're part of our church here, I just want to call something out in our church for a moment. In complete love, I believe there's a real timidness around prayer in our church. There's a real fear to pray over the person next to us or to pray out loud in front of other people. And my goal with this series is really simple. To help us become a church that is not afraid of prayer, but actually goes, as scripture says, to the throne of grace with confidence and boldness. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. And so that's what we're going to do here this morning. We're going to look at Jesus' prayer life because the Bible teaches that the prayer life of Jesus is available to each and every follower of Jesus. What might change in your life if you learned how to effectively communicate with God? What might change in your marriage if you learned how to effectively communicate with God? What might change in your approach to your work and your job and your coworkers? What might change in your own mental health if you learned how to effectively communicate with God? The truth is, effective communication with God is how we give love to him and receive love from him. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to be in the Lord's Prayer. And what I love about the Lord's Prayer is it is Jesus' response to Lord teach us to pray when his disciples asked him this question in Luke. And we're going to look at the Matthew version. But what I love about Jesus' response to this request is he did not give them an hour-long prayer like the Pharisees. He gives them a prayer that takes 30 seconds to say out loud. And he's not giving them this prayer as something necessarily to be like repeated verbatim every time we pray, although it's never a bad idea to say the words of Jesus out loud. He's more giving us a template for how we approach God in prayer, how we learn to communicate effectively with the Father. And so if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in just one chapter today. In fact, one verse for the whole sermon today. I told you it's simple, and it's Matthew 6. Verses 9 through 13, it's the Lord's Prayer. And I want us actually, and we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I want us to say this and read this out loud together. Now here's the deal. Whenever church people read stuff out loud together, it's always kind of boring sounding. So we're not going to do that, okay? We're going to have fun with this. We're going to read it with some some passion, okay? Can we do that? 
You guys are the 11 o'clock crowd. There is no excuse, okay? Here we go. Pray then like this. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well done. You guys did great with that. Man, what we're going to do today is we're just going to look at that first line of the prayer. We're going to dig deeply into that first line of the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, that's a line that just kind of rolls off the tongue. And it's actually kind of easy to dismiss as some kind of just opening pleasantry, but nothing could be further from the truth. Why would Jesus start there when teaching his followers how to pray? Because he wants us to remember who we're talking to. He wants us to actually take the focus off of ourselves, off of our circumstances, and place them on our Father. You see, the way that we view God, the way that we view the one on the receiving end of our prayers impacts everything about everything in our lives. And what Jesus desires is that we build our communication with God on this type of first line. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Every line of this prayer is built on its opening of love and reverence for the Father. Effective communication is how we give and receive love from God. Let me illustrate this this way. I have uh, three kids, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a four-year-old. And yes, we are in the thick of it right now. And my kids are still at the age where I will drive home after a long day of work. And yes, pastors do work on non-Sunday days, okay? So I'll drive home after a long day of work, and I'll arrive home and they are still at the age where they literally will run out the front door, tripping over each other, racing to see who can get to dad's car the first. And, and they'll come and they'll run and they'll be, daddy, 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 I want you to play with me or I want you to cuddle with me or I want to hug or like just outrageous affection for their father. And I got to tell you, I am well aware that those days will not last forever. But there is something that ministers to this weary father's heart after a long day at work when his kids come running towards him for no other agenda than to be with him because they love him. Can you imagine what it does in the father's heart in heaven when his kids come running towards him, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I have no agenda, God, but to be with you, to enjoy your presence. There's a word that we use to describe this type of prayer, and it's the word adoration. Adoration, and what adoration means, simply put, is it's lifting our heart and our mind to God, asking nothing but to enjoy God's presence. I want to say that again if you don't mind throwing that on the screen. Adoration is lifting my heart and my mind to God, asking nothing but to enjoy the presence of God. 
C.S. Lewis says it this way, in commanding us to glorify God, he is actually inviting us to enjoy him, to enjoy his presence. Adoration, lifting our heart, lifting our mind, glorifying God is what reminds us that it is his love that is the defining reality of every square inch of creation, including your life and mine. Effective communication is how we give and receive love from God. I want you to imagine for a moment my kids approaching me a different way when I get home. And this isn't super hard to imagine because I'll be honest, this is how they do it sometimes too. But imagine, imagine if I arrived home and same kind of thing. They're running out the door and they're tripping over each other and they're trying to get to dad first. And the first one that gets to dad is like, daddy, I want... Or, Daddy, I need this. I want ice cream. I want to watch TV. Daddy, Mommy said no, but maybe you'll say yes. <laughs> Daddy, my sibling did this to me, or I need, I need, I need, or can I have, can I have, can I have? And their only approach to me as I come home is, Daddy, I want, Daddy, I need, Daddy, what can you give me? That is sometimes how they do approach me when I get home. And it's fine, I'll deal with it. But if we're honest... How many of us approach God in the same way? That when we come to our Father, our eyes are not fixed on Him. They're fixed on everything around us. They're fixed on what we want and what we need and our circumstance. Our prayers, so often when we approach God this way, are internal and they're fixed on ourselves rather than the one on the receiving end that we are offering them to. Adoration says, God, I love you for who you are not simply for what you can do for me. Now, a caveat here. God desires that we bring our requests, our wants, and our needs to him. He is a good father who desires to give good gifts to his children. Hear me on that. That's going to be another week. We're going to get to that. But there's a reason that Jesus starts prayer like this because he wants to remind us that it is not ourselves that we keep our eyes on when we pray. It is our Father in heaven. So what I want to do is just look at the two parts of this line here, this verse. The first part says this, our Father in heaven. Now we read that, and probably like it's a super common thing to say. Maybe you grew up saying the Our Fathers in church, and so you're really familiar with that. That almost like rolls off our tongue without much thought. But if I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I hear him say Our Father in heaven for the first time, my world just got shook because I have a particular view of God and it's a view of God that is all-powerful, right? He is the God who, who, of cleansing rituals and animal sacrifices. He is the God of uh, parting the sea and ten plagues and blood on the doorposts. He is the God who floods the earth. He has a heavy hand of judgment and a heavy hand of deliverance. He is awesome in power but kind of hard to get to know. What Jesus does is he takes this all-powerful God and he introduces intimacy and personal relationship. He calls God Abba, which is not just kind of a distant father. He calls him Dad. There is a level of intimacy and relationship in Jesus' prayers that is so incredibly important that we understand. Why? Because the title we use for someone indicates the level of relationship that we have for them. Let me show you what I mean. When, when the serpent came to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 
And he said, did God really say? And he deceived them into eating the fruit. The name that he used for God there matters. He did not use the personal name of God. He used a distant, generic name for God. See, see, if the devil tempting Adam and Eve were to come up and say to them, did Yahweh Elohim really say, that would have been personal, that would have been close, but instead he just said, did Elohim say? Which is his way of saying, did that God say, that God who is distant, impersonal, removed, did that God really say to you those things? The same thing is true with us when we approach God, that, that in starting our prayers to a father who is intimately invested in our lives, it changes the way we view him, changes the way we communicate love to him, it changes the way we receive love from him. Imagine if I went home and made my kids call me reverend all day long. <laughs> right? That'd be weird. Impersonal, distant. I don't make them do that. Although I do tell my wife she's going to bed with the pastor once in a while. <laughs> that gets weird. Um, she threw a pillow at me when I told her I was going to make that joke. <laughs> Moving on. The point is, gosh, we're married, okay? Uh, <laughs> the point is, the title we use for God actually indicates the level of relationship that we have for him. He has different titles. If sin entered the world by making God abstract and impersonal, what Jesus is doing here in this simple prayer is he's reclaiming God as Abba, Father, Dad. Some of you are here and you've never experienced the love of a father. And so when you hear Jesus call God Father, there's this immediate kind of churning that happens for you. Because you have never experienced a love like that. And what adoration allows us to do is it allows us to pause, take a deep breath, recalibrate, and say, I know the one I'm talking to. He's not like earthly fathers. He is a perfect heavenly father who is closer than I know, invested in every intimate detail of my life, caring deeply for me. See, when Jesus wanted to tell the world what God was like, he used an image of a father whose son had run off to a faraway land and told his father, I don't like you. I hope you were, I wish you were dead, essentially. Give me my inheritance, and I want to go waste it all. This is the image that God gives of the father. And the father is standing there at his house, and he sees his son who has wasted away everything that he's given him, has squandered it all, spent his portion of the fortune, the inheritance, and, and the image Jesus gives us of this father, this Abba, this dad, is one who sees his wayward son off in the distance and cannot even help himself, but undignifies himself, makes a fool of himself in reckless running after his son, all for the effort to embrace him. This is what Jesus wants us to have so deeply ingrained in our mind when we come to our father in prayer, that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you're wrestling with right now, that we have a Father who will never reject those who come home to His presence.
But then there's a second part of this prayer, a second part of this opening line that in some ways almost seems to contradict the first part, but is equally as important. And the second part of the the line here is, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is not a word that we use all that often. When was the last time you said that? Like about five minutes ago when we read it on the screen. But we, we don't really use that word all that much. What hallowed means is to make holy, to set apart, to concentra- con- concentrate, consecrate. It means to dignify. The, the most close, kind of commonly word, used word that we have is the word honor. It is a reminder that while God is intimate father, in, intimately invested in every detail of his kids' lives, he is also separate. He is majestic. He is holy. He is great. It means to praise and adore. It means to be captivated, astonished, to have your breath taken away at the greatness of the one who your affection is turned towards. This is what it means to hallow his name, to be melted with grateful joy for who he is and what he has done. Hallowed. Why would Jesus have that be part of the opening line of this prayer? Why does an all-powerful, completely loving, holy, self-sufficient God need me, little me, Brad, here in Wayland, Michigan, to hallow his name? It's because almost certainly every single time that I go to him in prayer, there are other names in my life that I've already been hallowing. Other names in my life that I've already been honoring. Sometimes maybe it's the name of achievement, performance, Sometimes it's the name of anxiety or worry that we're hallowing. Sometimes it's the name of success or productivity or comfort or execution of our own plans or self-will or the need to control. Every single time we come to God the Father, chances are we've been hallowing some other name in our life, some other name that we've put maybe equal to him or even above him in some ways. Not sure if this is you. What name are you hallowing? I'd say the easiest way to know, here are some questions to think through this. Who lives rent-free in your head? (laughs) I I bet that name is coming to mind right now. Who lives rent-free in your head? That is a name you are hallowing alongside God. Where does your mind wander when you are alone? What distracts you in the silence? I don't know about you, but sometimes there's a war that's going on between the two ears on my head. This morning, it's funny, I had a sermon illustration this morning that came up. I'm like, dang it, God, now i got to use this here. I was driving in my car, and there was worship music playing. Incredible song. And all of a sudden, I found my mind starting to wander and worry and play through different scenarios, and like it was wandering. And, and, and no joke, God, like in that moment, immediately got my attention. And what I noticed, this is so ironic, you can't even make this up. The song that was playing, literally the lyrics, as I'm worrying... Say, God's not worried, so why do I worry? (laughs) We hallow other names all the time. And what adoration does is it recalibrates, refocuses, and reorders our loves in this life to the right order. Hallowing God's name communicates love to him because our loves need to be reordered. In a sinful world, we get our priorities and our loves mixed up all the time. Adoration changes what you love. 
what captures your imagination, what delights you, what worries you, what turns your crank in the midst of all of your adoration. You're saying, God, wait a minute. These things here, this circumstance or what's living inside of me, these do not get my ultimate affection and attention. Your name does. Hallowed be your name. Honored be your name. It is a recalibration and a reordering of love in our lives. And when we do that, those things actually begin to lose some power over us. God, when I hallow your name, the other names that I simultaneously tend to hallow, they lose some of their power. Success doesn't have power over me. God, hallowed be your name. Performance doesn't have power over me. What other people think doesn't have power over me. Hallowed be your name. This is what we do every single time we worship. Like There is a reason that we lift our hands in worship in surrender to the one who gave everything for us. We just celebrated that this last week. And the celebration continues, my friend, that there is never a day that we are not hallowing God's name, lifting his name high, and saying, God, you are separate, you are other, you are holy, you are worthy to be honored with everything that is in me. I I had the opportunity a couple months ago, and several of you know this already, but I had the opportunity to go uh, down to Kentucky to visit Asbury Seminary. Um, As many of you know, in February, there was kind of this incredible awakening that happened on the campus of Asbury Seminary. It was a chapel service that started and then essentially didn't stop for weeks and weeks afterwards. And by the way, God is still awakening his church right now around the country. In fact, the baptisms that we're about to celebrate in a few moments from now are literally evidence of God awakening his church and reviving his church. And by the way, there is no significant move of God ever recorded in Christian history that is not saturated and bathed with prayer, fueled by prayer, driven by prayer. Everything we do orbits around our communication with God and our connectedness to him. Where was I going with that? I forgot. So anyways, we, we arrived at the campus in Kentucky, a few pastor friends and myself, and when we, when we arrived to, to the room, Hughes Auditorium, this was early on in the days of what was happening, so it was still easy to get into the room. And so we, we arrive in the room, and it is completely silent. The entire room is just prayer, adoration. I'm not kidding, the entire aisleways were filled with people laying on their faces. I'm like awkwardly stepping over people, to avoid stepping on their heads. And in this room, like it's so hard to even describe, but there was, there was both a lightness and a heaviness in this room. Right on one hand, there was a heaviness. That when we enter the presence of God, we better be aware whose presence we are standing in. That there is a reverence and an awe. In fact, the word for glory in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word kavod. It literally means heavy. There is a heaviness to the presence of God. Like the prophet says when he enters God's presence, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I am unworthy to enter your presence, Lord. Hallowed be your name. There is a heaviness to this. There is a weightiness to your presence that I should not enter into dismissively or casually or flippantly because hallowed be your name. It's heavy. But on the other side, walking into that room, there was also a lightness there. 
There was a lightness because he is also our father. Intimately invested. Closer than we know. That where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That Jesus, in his own words, says, Come to me, all who are weary. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That there is a lightness when we enter into the presence of God. How can the God of the universe, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, separate and worthy of our reverence, also be intimately invested in every detail of his creation, not too bothered to care about the little stuff of my life? One name, Jesus. Jesus is why these two things can be possible at the same time. Because on the cross... Jesus won back intimacy with God that our sin had stolen from us. From our own choosing and our own doing, we chose separateness from God. We chose impersonalness from God, distance from God. And what Jesus won on the cross is the moment that he was crucified, the moment he died, the veil of the temple that separated this hallowed, holy God was torn in two, and every single person who calls on the name of Jesus is invited to experience intimacy with our Father in heaven in a way that was not possible before the person of Jesus. And so when we celebrate baptism here this morning, we are celebrating that because of the blood of Jesus, God has made us co-heirs with Christ in him. That we are adopted, as Ephesians 1 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When I learn how to effectively communicate with God, I experience his love in new ways. He experiences my love. I minister to his heart when I practice adoration. So how do we do this? As we're kind of closing here before we get to baptism. How do, we, how do we practice adoration? I want to give you a really, really simple framework to do this. You can do this in your car ride on Monday morning before you go to bed on Tuesday night. Every day of your week, this has been such an integral part of my prayer life. And it is so, like I said, the power is in the simplicity. It is so easy to put into practice. This is how we practice adoration. We start by pausing. Just quiet the noise, right? For in your car, maybe this is just turning off the radio. And then we just ask ourselves, what do I love about God? What do I love about him? And then we tell him. Super hard to do, right? <laughs> Not really. It's actually really easy, right? God made prayer simple. We make prayer complicated. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so what I want to do as the band makes their way back up is I just want to walk you through my prayer journal of adoration this past week. Because God has done some things in our church that are worthy of us adoring him. And the things I want to share with you here are things that are not designed to bring new life glory or anybody glory other than to stir our affections towards the God who is still working in his church and still worthy to be adored. So these are some of the things that I adored God for in our church this last week. Last week on Easter services, six people trusted in Jesus Christ for the very first time in their lives. Yeah. 
Adoration just, like saying, just looks like saying, God, I love that you are still doing a brand new thing in people's lives 2,000 years after your resurrection. Last week, 32 people recommitted their lives to Jesus. God, I love that you are the father who is still drawing prodigal sons and daughters home once again. Today, we get to celebrate stories of changed lives as I don't even know how many people at this point are getting into this tank to get baptized. And by the way, if you're here and you weren't, you know, planning to get baptized, we have t-shirts, we have towels, and you want to just as an act of adoration go public for the person of Jesus and say, my life belongs to him. I am renouncing my sins. I belong to him. We saw some powerful stories of him doing that in first service. The water's open. You're more than welcome to come forward at the end of the service to get baptized. There's no need to have signed up ahead of time. The, The water is open. I'm going to tell you one more story from last week that I am adoring God over right now. Last week, there was a guy named Pat who was here in our service. And he was sitting right back there in the back row. And I I saw Pat before our 8 a.m. service. And Pat had not been here for a few years. And the reason is because his lungs were in really, really, really rough shape. And so because of COVID and, and things like that, he couldn't come into a setting like this and, um, and worship with other people around. And it was a couple months ago, his grandson, Andrew, who is a tech intern here at the church, just felt a stirring and felt compelled to just gather his family in prayer. And so he gathered his family and they, they went through the Acts prayer model, if you're familiar with that, which begins with adoration. And they just began praying as a family. And I'm not kidding, later that day, they got a phone call that his grandpa, Pat, had been placed on the lung transplant list and was a candidate for, for a donation, lung donation. And so that was, that was cool. We had been celebrating that, that, that someone freshly out of high school was leading his family in prayer, prayer of adoration and thanksgiving and things like that. Well, last week I saw Pat sitting back there and he had his oxygen tanks with him, I mean, in really rough shape lung-wise, and had, the, had the, um, the mask over his mouth with just the breathing apparatus and things like that, and just talking to him, hey, Pat, like, it's so good to see you, man. And uh, towards the end of the service, he described to me during the prayer, again, during prayer, he felt someone touch his chest, like a physical touch. So real to him, in fact, that he opened his eyes to see. He thought it was his daughter sitting next to him who was touching his chest, but it wasn't. He believes it was the the touch of God on his chest, on his lungs. So he's like, wow, that, that was cool. So then he leaves service, and I'm not joking. Within an hour of leaving service, he gets a phone call from the hospital. And they said, are you ready to get new lungs, Pat? We have some available for you today. Can you be here by five? And and when I found that out, I was speechless, which isn't super common for me. I was speechless, like gasping for air because literally, of course, God would do that. Of course, God would give someone new breath in their lungs on Resurrection Sunday. Of course he would do that.
And so later that, later that afternoon, that evening, I went to the hospital and I prayed with Pat and I prayed with his family and, and we literally played in the hospital room the song we're about to sing here. But the reason I share that is because the name of God is worthy to be adored. That as Pat gets new breath in his lungs on Resurrection Sunday, I'm also reminded that there is a family that is grieving at the loss of someone who is giving the gift of life to Pat. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And in both cases, his name is worthy to be adored. His name is worthy to be praised because he is our father. And he knows every intimate detail of our lives. And not just that he knows about them, he is intimately invested and he cares about them. So maybe you're here today and you haven't practiced adoration ever in your life. Maybe it's been a while. The invitation is open for you during worship. Don't be afraid to lift your hands and make a little bit of a fool out of yourself for the sake of praising the name of the one who gave everything for you. Maybe you're here and you weren't planning to get baptized and God is just, maybe he's tapping you on the chest right now and you're feeling that right now. You're saying, God, today is my day, but I don't have a change of clothes or I don't want to walk away wet. It's 70 degrees out right now, okay? You're fine. Don't let that be what stops you. If God is tapping you on the chest saying, today is your day to go public for me, in some ways, baptism is an incredible act of adoration. Saying, God, you have saved me, you have redeemed me, and I want my church to know about that today. It is simply going public for the name of Jesus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer a prayer up for us. And if you want to get baptized after I'm done with this prayer, while we're singing, just meet me over here on this side of the room, whether you're signed up or not. Meet me over here. We'll start forming a line, and then, and then we'll get into it, okay? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship and all of our adoration. God, you are both Abba and Adonai. You are Father and Master. That God, we thank you and we praise you for new breath in Pat's lungs and new life in people here at the church. God, you are Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Rapha. You are the God who provides and you are the God who heals. And so God, we lift your name. That as Philippians 2 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And so God, today in adoration and worship, we just turn our affections towards you and we just say we love you. You are everything to us. And our response is to offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices and say, God, everything that I am belongs to you because you are worthy and you are holy. And we thank you, God, that you are closer than we know. God, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray.